This is Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast. A regular look back at professional baseball in Cleveland from 1901 and beyond. Now, here's your host, Guardians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hey, Guardians fans. We are back with the podcast. It's been a while, but during the season, I was able to sit down with alumni that were in town from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and record some great interviews. Now this week, we're going to start off with Cleveland's all-time saves leader, Cody Allen, to talk about his career in Cleveland. Hope you enjoy. Um, yeah, like I was saying, kind of a harmless just uh, going through your, your career with us and even going back to the beginning. So back high school, um, you know, I was doing my deep dive, football, baseball, mm-hmm. um, out in, in Florida. When did uh, baseball kind of stick out to you as your future uh, goal? I think baseball... I think I kind of knew that baseball was it for me. Um, not because um, of, you know, any particular skill set that I had that was more advantageous for baseball than football. I just, baseball was what I did, you know, since I was four. You know, I started playing football in high school, and I, I think it was something that I naturally picked up, and I did, I loved it. Um, I still do. But there was just something about baseball that I knew that that was kind of my my route. You said you started football in high school, but I was looking at your page, four-year starter at Boone, the mm-hmm. first playoff win, throwing a touchdown pass in overtime and mm-hmm. all that. Uh, uh, were you ever worried then about you know hurting your arm or anything of that nature? You know what? I think there was a, little, a brief amount of time there after I signed a letter of intent to University of Central Florida. And there was a little bit, but I think by that time too, you know, I had in, in, entrenched myself like kind of as a, like as a member of that group of guys who was trying to win games and win championships with with the football team, and I knew also too that that time was going to be coming to an end, uh, and so it was kind of one of those things like all right, like just like let's play the game. You know, if you get hurt, you know, you, yeah, you definitely you're running a little bit of a risk, but I think at the position that I was playing as a quarterback, um, I, I think it mitigated a little bit of the risk, uh, but I also knew that if I didn't play, I would. I would definitely regret that. And you weren't drafted out of high school, nope. so um, you know how many schools were looking at you? Was it just kind of a local thing? Or? It, oh, there was. There's a few schools. Um, I I, uh, I ended the recruiting process fairly early. I knew uh, I knew I had a relationship with the coach at UCF. Uh, I'd, I'd gone to some camps there, just with it being local and and develop a relationship with the the. He was the pitching coach at the time there. Um, his name is Craig Cozart, and um, just. Love the campus, love the ability to be close to home, you know. Um, and my brother, I have a twin brother who was going to school not far away either, so it gave us a chance to, to remain close. And um, and yeah, I, I kind of knew that that's where I wanted to be. I did explore a few other schools, uh, but we didn't get so deep into the process that it was a wide net. Um, so it, it, it was pretty, I, I think I knew from the get-go that's where I was going to go. And when you were drafted, it was by Cleveland, and not once, but but twice. Did yeah. you, um, you know, the first time the 16th round um, just didn't work out, and then the next year, uh, 23rd? And... Well, it was, it was, so up to that first draft, um, so I had gone to UCF for two years, and then my second year there, I redshirted. I had, I had Tommy John surgery before the season started. We had a whole new coaching staff. Uh, so the coaching staff that had recruited me to come there, the ones that I, I wanted to play for, they they were no longer there. 
uh, and the staff that was there, they were doing uh, what they believed that they needed to do to, to revamp the organization. Uh, and so they actually let me go of my contract, so I, uh, or my, uh, my scholarship. And so I went to a junior college right there in Florida. And uh, I was first year back from Tommy John. It was kind of a turbulent year. Uh, had some games where I did pitch really well, but uh, I was not ready. It, it had nothing to do with Cleveland as an organization or the offer or the whole draft process. I just didn't believe that I was ready to um, present myself well enough in the professional ranks to give myself a shot at the ultimate goal, which is playing in the big leagues. And so I actually ended up going to uh, going to High Point University in North Carolina, where the coach that had recruited me to go to UCF, he was now the head coach at High Point. So there was a, a familiarity there, and I knew exactly that he was the guy that I felt like, you know what, if I, if I want to give this a shot a, a year later, um, this is the guy that's going to get me uh, into a position that you know, I'll be ready to go. And were you surprised that it was uh, Cleveland looking at you again in 11? Or was it just like, all right, there's something there? You know, I, I didn't think that they would just because it, they had drafted me and um, and I didn't sign. And so, you know, I kind of thought that there was an outside chance that, okay, you know, maybe, maybe they – because the, I had had conversations with uh, the scout at the time, Bob Mayer, um, who – who, he's the one who drafted me at High Point, and and I had had conversations with Bob, and and and, and there wasn't he didn't give me any indication that there was any hard feelings or anything there, but I ultimately knew like you know there's there's a business decision to be made, uh, but you know he's he stayed on me, and and when they drafted me, I was I was surprised, um, but I wasn't I wasn't as surprised as maybe like my parents was. How's that work in the you know twenty third round? Is it just a phone call or is it? Uh, you're just... Yeah, he he pretty much cut right to it. He's you know when when the draft happened, uh, he called me. He's like, all right, you know, hey, I know you're a little disappointed because I was I was hoping to go a little earlier. He's like, no, you're disappointed, but this is what it is. Um, this is the offer. We're not going to play around like we did last summer. And I was like, cool, let's go, let's get started. So I I, I signed right away. And I I know and and I do, and I, to go back to my decision not to sign. Uh, I was comfortable signing right away, regardless of what the offer was, just because I did. I felt like I was ready. I felt like I was ready to present myself well enough uh, when I showed up, and uh, I showed up to Mahoning Valley um, and signed my contract and and got started. Now, usually people from you know Ohio will vacation in Florida. Had you ever been to Ohio <laughs> or Cleveland, or what were your thoughts besides? Uh, I don't think I'd ever been to Ohio. Maybe when I was a little kid, but I do not think I'd ever been to Ohio. Um, I did. Um, I mean, it was a storied franchise, and there, there was, there was a lot of, uh, between like my agent and some guys that I had played with growing up. Like, there, you know, the the organization as a whole, from a development side, was very well respected, and so I was very excited to uh, start my career with this organization that had a uh, reputation for developing and using their talent at the big league level. Um, you know, there's a lot of other organizations that maybe are in bigger markets that they, you know, they explore the, the free agent market or whatever it is. Um, but I knew that uh, this organization was dependent upon that farm system to to win games at the big league level. And I, I was definitely excited to be here. And your parents immediately became the biggest Cleveland fans. And uh, Yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, uh, 
they they definitely had the sweatshirts and the hats and the uh, and the and the polos and everything um, before the summer was over. And you know, 2011, 2012, you you kind of burned through the the minors. I think Baseball Reference mentioned 65 minor league games. Do you ever feel like uh, like LeBron skipping college and going right mm-hmm. to the majors? Was it kind of tough to acclimate, kind of like bouncing around like that? Or? You know, I think at that point you're just you're just playing the game. You know, and, and you know there was really. It, every level you went up, it was, it was it was super exciting. Like I knew what was going on, and um, and I was very uh, thankful and grateful for like those previous experiences and for the coaches at each one of those levels and for the teammates that I had because all those experiences, um, you know, they all culminated and they all helped um, my development. Uh, but I was also very thankful that the organization at that point, like they they believed that I was ready. Because you know, I, I had seen other guys in other organizations that they were doing the same thing that I was doing, but it was just kind of far fetched for somebody to move quickly like that. And so they were just like, you know what, we'll just let this guy, you know, just like mature or develop uh, at this level for a little bit longer, and then maybe they get stale and they just or they become bitter or whatever it was. And, and I definitely didn't want to do that or di- didn't want that to happen. But they, the organization never allowed it to. They were just like, hey, we're just going to continue to challenge this guy and see if he's up to the task. And uh, there's a few individuals at the time that I think were definitely behind that, and they gave me their vote of confidence. Um, and they just kept bumping me. And Mike Sarbaugh, he, uh, you know, he was my um, my AAA manager in Columbus, and that was kind of the first roadblock I hit in in that, you know, I guess uh, road up to the big leagues. And um, and he was just like, dude, just shake it off, keep going. And a couple months later, I was here. So you don't uh, ever look back at those missing out long bus rides and all that stuff. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah. So by July twentieth, your your MLB debut. Do you remember? Um, I guess it would have been Sarbaugh calling you in his office. Yeah, and... it was. It was Mike Sarbaugh. He called me in. And just, I mean, just didn't really know. Um, you know, didn't prank me or anything. He was just like, hey man, you're going up. And I just kind of asked him, I was like, what do I do? You know, I, 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 I mean, I did not feel ready, but he was just like, man, just, it's the same game. You know, the mound is still 60 feet away, and the guy's still holding the bat, and the strike's on the same size. It's good to keep doing what you've been doing. And, you know, what that most guys I, I've talked to, usually when they get to the majors, there's guys they've played with in the minors already there. But, I mean, again, you were in the minors for a cup of coffee. How did, mm-hmm. who, who did you kind of gravitate to, or do you have anyone who took you under their wing? You know what? There was, so there was one guy on the team that I played with in AAA that year. Uh, it was Zach McAllister, and he was up. And then there was another guy um, who I really looked up to, a uh, guy, Joe Smith who we had the same agent, and I'd, I'd come across, I'd pitch in a couple games in spring training, um, and I'd come across, I'd met Joe and, and chatted with him a few times um, through our agent, just some functions and, and, and those games in spring training. And, and, he, um, and he was in the bullpen at the time, he was kind of the veteran presence down there, and he also had a, a very similar kind of rise to the big leagues. He was very young, straight out of college, and and he he went to a team that was very seasoned in the New York Mets at the time, and uh, and so Joe was definitely a guy that um, I I leaned on. Where it's like, hey man, I'm I'm not gonna fool you here or try and fake it. Like I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And he's just like, just stay over there, you know. Kind of, he definitely guided me and 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 helped me 
learn the ropes. So was 37 just what you know Tony gave you, or is that just never what they had gave no me. meaning to it? No, nope, just what they about gave me. Changing it or no? Nope. All right. Um, now, do you remember that that debut and and or is it all like a blur? Or, I mean, that's not. Oh no, I, re- I remember the debut. I, re- I do remember the debut. I was against Baltimore, and I I just remember you know kind of having those moments of like what the heck am I doing here? You know, kind of thing. And and Derek Lowe started that game. And, uh, and, and D'Lo, you know, he, he got started getting hit around a little bit and, uh, they called down and, you know, I knew as soon as the phone rang, I knew it was for me. I knew it was for me. And so, and it was one of those things where the adrenaline's pumping so fast. I didn't need to warm up. Like I was ready and they brought me in and, um, yeah, first guy I faced, um, Matt Wieters and ended up walking him. The next guy, Wilson Bediment, ended up walking him. And then, uh, Mark Reynolds ended up. Uh, punching him out and so once once I got the first out you know I was like okay like it's doable you know it's it's doable these guys are human uh, then I was able to settle in a little bit do you have that first strikeout ball still? oh yeah um, I'm trying to think um, now was it almost better to come in in a blowout situation like that I mean is that or it doesn't matter first start's your first start it doesn't matter I, I think at that at that particular time um I mean, the gravity of the score or whatever it was, I didn't have the court awareness in that moment to even think about that stuff. Like, I, I remember looking up from the mound when Matt Weider stepped in the box, and I felt like I was pitching from center field. And I was, I was merely just trying to hold it together. Like, I was just like, just throw it over the plate. Like, that's all I was trying to do. I just didn't want to – honestly, I just didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, and so it, the score could have been one to one. It could have been ten to nothing. I wouldn't even have known. Were your parents able to make it to that? They game? they did. They they literally um, they had booked a flight, and the earliest they could get in was I think it was like close to game time. And from the rental car and like all this stuff, they got to the stadium as I was warming up on the field. And so they came in and they said that they were walking up like Eagle Avenue. And they hear over the jumbotron my like they like announce me, and they just like start running in. So it was kind of cool. Um, over the course of your career, you you had quite a few catchers too, or a couple of them. You were with Santana towards the end of his catching career. Yeah. And, uh, what can you say about the guys, Perez, Gomes, uh, Jimenez, um, as catchers? I was really fortunate. I was extremely fortunate to have all those guys. Uh, you know, Carlos, you know, he kind of walked me through, like, you know, my first year, you know, playing. And then, you know, Lou Marson was also there, who's a guy. Uh, but I, I developed a very good relationship with, uh, with Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez. Um, but, but having both of those guys for the bulk pretty much my entire career here. And then obviously Jimenez was here for a period of time as well, but um, I'd say probably 85 to 90% of the games that I pitched in, in a Cleveland uniform, Jan or Roberto caught. Um, and I mean, I couldn't have asked for two better catchers. I mean, those guys, they did their homework. They they knew me um, and, and I trusted them explicitly. And they obviously in two, they're, they're very good. I think Roberto's got a couple gold gloves at home mm-hmm. for a reason. Berto too, just like yourself, kind of later draft pick. That kind yeah, of, uh, I actually I, I got a chance to pitch to Roberto too at two different minor league levels okay. as well. So, um, so you know, you come in in 2012. It's kind of a, a turning point, I guess, in in that decade, and I think a big point in our history because um, that August, you know, 
for better, I mean, not for better, but for worse, the wheels kind of fall off, the yep. club goes, and it was like a five and, and something. Yep. For you, being a new guy, A, was that something that you just kind of kept in the wings, like, oh, shit, like, things aren't great, or like, how did you navigate that? Like you said, like, we went on a road trip, so I was, I was here for a homestand where we split. We had three against Baltimore and three against Detroit, and we split. Um, and then we went on the road for a 10-gamer, and we went 0-10. And on that 10-gamer is when, you know, I think Johnny Damon gets released, Derek Lowe gets released. I think at the end of that road trip is when Manny Acta got fired. And so there's a lot of going on. And I was, you know, but for me, I was merely just trying to keep my head about me. And just my goal was just to stay there. Um, and so, I, like I said, like I didn't have the court awareness of exactly what was going on to understand, you know, the ramifications of everything that was happening. Uh, I was merely just trying to, you know, be ready for the next day. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when all these guys were getting let go and all these moves were getting made, you know, Corey Kluber gets brought up. And, you know, all these other guys that I had played with in the minor leagues and had relationships with, they were all starting to make their own presence felt at, in the clubhouse. And so, you know, it's kind of bittersweet for me because we were losing games and guys were losing their jobs. But at the same time, this kind of next wave of players was coming in that we were all trying to figure out together if, if we were gonna, if we were big leaguers or not, basically. And that kind of brings me to a, another point is, um, yeah, it seems like it was that, that wave of new guys coming up. And you kind of had a front row seat then for the next few years to watch guys like, you know, Kluber really become one of the top pitchers in, in franchise history. I mean, that stretch he had was yeah. phenomenal. And, Got to see a, a, a little guy named Jose Ramirez, you know, kind of come <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. A Kip Masterson. What was it like to kind of be around those guys and, and really watch a lot of them develop into you know, stars? You know, so so I, like so the guys that were here before me. So it was like Lonnie Chisenhall, Jason Kipnis, um, Carlos Santana. You know, they weren't. Uh, you know, especially Kip and Lonnie, they had just kind of, they were kind of like just getting you know entrenched in the big leagues, and then Santana was a little bit before them. Um, but then the next guys, you know, like Kluber had a little bit of a taste in 2011. He got called up. McAllister was up. And then, you know, we make the trade that offseason for Mike Avilas and Jan Gomes. Uh, and so it was really cool to kind of see this, in hindsight, see it all come together. Now, at the time, like, these are singular moves that you're not even really thinking about. It's just like these are players that are, are coming to us. But uh, then over time, you know, and then uh, another guy, I don't know how we can forget about this guy, but Michael Brantley, you know, he's – He's a young guy at the time. He hasn't even signed his contract yet. And so Josh Tomlin. I mean, so there's so many guys that were there that we were all kind of like, where do we sit or where do we stand in the organization and in the league as a whole? And then we were all so fortunate to be together for the next five, six, seven years. Uh, and then to experience some of the things we experienced at the end of that, you know, winning three straight divisions and, and winning a pennant. Um, so it was at the time we had no idea what was happening, um, but you know we look back on it in seventeen and eighteen and we were like, man, it was like we've all been here for a really long time together. 
And that, that off season, you know, the managerial hiring yeah. coming. Did you hear rumblings that Tito was possible, or were you just kind of, hey, I'm gonna see what happens? You know, I like I, I didn't know honestly. You know, I, I I love Tito to death, but at the time, like I knew Sandy, and I knew Sandy was the other guy up for the job. It was basically between Tito and Sandy, and so me personally, I was like, man, I really hope Sandy gets this job because I know I don't know Tito, right. and I know Sandy knows me. I know Sandy had confidence in me at the end of the season the year before. Uh, and I think the world of Sandy. And so I was kind of hoping Sandy got the job. And then Terry Francona got the job. And, you know, and we all came to love Tito. And, and you know, he's done amazing things here um, that, you know, will just be etched in the franchise's history. Uh, but, yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of a wild off season. What makes Tito such a, a great manager, in your opinion? I think, yeah, obviously, he knows the game. But I think the biggest thing is he just... He understands people. He he knows people. He know and he's a master communicator, right? Um, I think he's able to get guys to understand what we're really doing here, right? And and I would say the biggest takeaway that I took from him uh, was as a player was never to focus on the results of the game. It's always like let's just develop a really good process and let's just focus on that process and enjoy what we're doing within that process right so enjoy coming to the ballpark right like don't stress out on the fact that we're facing x guy or facing these teams or you're not pitching well right now or you're not hitting well right now let's just focus on the process and let's just enjoy it um and do it together and you know that next season you have Tito, um, you know, things seem to be coming together. Uh, it seems like Jason Giambi was a, a great addition to the team just in terms of a, a veteran. Now, for you, you know, your, your legs were probably more settled than they were when you came out. Did you ever, I mean, and again, I'm not sure how much a 23, 24-year-old guy cared about, you know, if you're in Fenway and you're standing on the same mound mm-hmm. is great. So was that something that, you know, was was cool for you or is it just another ballpark for you to go around and no it was definitely those places you know Fenway and I know it wasn't the old Yankee Stadium but it was still it was Yankee Stadium right like there's just something about those places right you're just kind of taken aback um, you know even like I remember being in Houston and you know this, that ballpark isn't particularly historical or anything like that but I remember Craig Biggio was there throwing out the first pitch and I was like oh my gosh that's Craig Biggio and then, you know, having the same thing. I remember being in Yankee Stadium when they were retiring Andy Pettit's number. And I was like, holy smokes. That's like, just being absolutely taken aback. And then kind of looking around, like, what are we doing here? You know, kind of thing. And just, like, understanding, you know, and just having that moment of gratitude. Um, and I think that's all it was. And, you know, it was, it's not only – it wasn't just me. It was like – I remember being in Yankee Stadium, and they're – you know, it's like a day game, and guys get there early, and we're on the top step, like in the visiting dugout, watching this ceremony take place when we could be inside playing cards or getting ready or whatever. But we're all just like, just gawking and just kind of starstruck by some of the individuals we see out there. You know, they got Mariano's there and Jeter's there, and, and all these guys, and you're just like, holy smokes. And so you're just kind of paying homage to, you know, just where you are and who you know, who came before you and, you know, and a guy like Jason Giambi, having him on your team kind of puts those things in perspective. Yeah. You just missed Tommy because Tommy was up yep. here in 11. And, um, but was there moments of like surrealness when you're on the mound and, you know, Miggy's in the box or anything Dude, like that? So there were two moments in my career where I was standing on the mound and it was kind of this like, 
oh my gosh, like this guy's in the box. Like, it was like, this guy's in the box. And it was the first time I faced Mickey and when I faced Jeter. And both of those moments, it was like, what am I doing here? And, uh, and you know, so, uh, yeah, like having those guys. Uh, and my debut was against Baltimore. Tommy was on that team. Uh, but I just, I just didn't face him that night. Uh, but, yeah, I remember seeing – I remember walking out to the bullpen that first night, walking from the dugout with the rest of the bullpen to the bullpen and seeing Adam Jones up close and Chris Davis and Jim Tomey and all these – and they're massive dudes. And I'm just like, what in the heck is going on? Like, and, But, yeah, seeing Tomey was kind of like a – I think Tommy had hit the home run off low to knock him out, and then that's yeah. when you uh, came in. What was about Miggy? I was going through some of your, your splits, and Miggy, uh, 7 for 19 against you. What made him uh, hard to, I mean, just one of the greatest hitters of all time? Yeah, he's just so good. And, I mean, he just, you know, I think, too, like, just the fact that you knew he was that good, like, and he knew he was that good, and he just, I don't know. He, But there was, it was weird, though, because, There'd be like a year where I had him, and then the next year he owned me, and then the next year I had him, and then the next year he owned me. So he made adjustments. Like he, you know, you couldn't fool him too many times the same way. And uh, but yeah, he was just he's so good. I know Raji is here with you. He was only one for seven against. Two, so I don't know. <laughs> that was an infield. That was an infield hit too. Oh, you remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so thirteen. You know, there's something about Tito's teams and these these win streaks. So finish off mm-hmm. the season with a 10 game uh, win streak. Giambi had that mammoth home run, and yeah. then just the um, you remember much about that that wild card game of um, disappointment? I mean, was that pretty? Yeah, good? I remember Alex Cobb being really good. I remember he was really good. Um, but I, I remember it was kind of a you know I remember Danny Salazar starting that yeah. game, and you know, and I remember you know unfortunately I know Danny you know he kind of got bit by the injury bug there, but I remember thinking. You know, and there were a lot of guys on that team. Like, we were really excited for the future of that team. And because it was, you know, you looked around the field, you saw, you know, Jason Kipnis at second base. You know, like, Jose Ramirez was like a young 20-year-old pinch runner on that team. We all knew he was going to be really good. I don't think we were, I don't think anybody knew he was going to be as good as he is, but we knew he was going to be good. And, um, you know, just like some really good players on that team. You know, Kluber was, you know, like, he was really good that year. That was the year before we won the second and um, and we kind of knew that we still had a shot at winning that game and making some noise in the postseason, but we all kind of saw it as like, all right, this is kind of like our launching point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next two years were obviously just, were just disappointing. Um, and but we but that at that moment, you know, Danny Salazar is on the mound, and we kind of just like, man, we got Kluber, we got this guy, and we we're just like, we got a shot to be really good. And so that was we lost that game, which hurt. But I think there was also an air of, like, this is just the beginning. I was trying to find it. I thought I had your first save written down. But do you remember? Detroit. I mean, was that, was that Mother's Day, something Detroit. that, you know, you thought going into the majors, like, you know, I, I got what it takes to be a closer. I mean, that's a special breed to be mm-hmm. a closer. Is that just something that? You- I never thought about it. I never thought about closing because I never done it. Like, in college, I was a starter all the way through. And then in the minor leagues, you know, there's really no, you know, until maybe AAA, there's no set closers role. Um, there's kind of just like, hey, let's just go get out. Right? And, you know, you're you're hoping that you play yourself into a role where you're just a dependable, reliable option in big-time situations. And that's all you can ask for as a, as a bullpen guy is that your manager – trust you enough to when stuff starts to hit the fan you're the guy that he wants to go down there and grab 
Um, and so that's why, I mean, I mean toward, you know, in my career, you know, we had arguably at the time that he was the best reliever in baseball and Andrew Miller, and he wasn't closing games for us. It doesn't mean that he wasn't the best player on our team or the best reliever in our bullpen or the best reliever in baseball. You know, because he was the guy that when it was time to win a game in that situation, Tito was calling, you know, we used to joke around. You're like, remember the old Staples commercials where they hit the easy button? You know, was, that's what he was. But, um, you know, that's what that, that was every guy's goal is to be that. Um, you know, 16 rolls around. Now, was it, I'm just, just spitballing, but the no. Royals from 14 and 15, two World Series, was that helpful to see them that much and be like, why not us? Or is nothing that. You know, I, I think, I don't think we thought about it that way. I think we did think about it in the way of, we used to beat these guys a lot, right? And, we, and we've seen these guys. Like, if you're looking at it from an individual perspective, they had a good team. They had a really good team. They had really good players. But the difference between when they were really good and when they weren't making the postseason wasn't a huge difference in the, the addition or subtraction of players. It was just merely in the culture that they had created. Where, you know, I will say, I mean, when we played them in 14 and 15, it didn't matter, like, what the score was. Like, you knew that they were just coming. Like, it was, it was like teams played them, you were playing them, and you were on, their, on your heels the entire night. And it just, they just brought the game to you. And so it wasn't the fact that, you know, they went and, you know, I know they traded for some guys. They went and got James Shields and Wade Davis and, uh, and you know, Salvador Perez getting, you know, starting to get into his prime and Hosmer and Mustakis and Kane, all these guys, they were getting better. But they just, and Omar Infante was a big part of that, but they just put you on your heels. And it was like, and it's not like, I mean, we got the same guys. We have the same quality players. They're just playing the game a little bit differently than we are right now. And I think seeing that and recognizing that and bringing in guys like Mike Napoli and, and Rajay Davis and guys who had been around, um, they kind of helped us see that too. Now, playoffs roll around. You get the last out against uh, Detroit to clinch the, the Central, and then mm-hmm. you roll into the playoffs. Are you aware you gave up Ortiz's last major league hit? No, I, get, I was his last at bat. I walked him. Well, in game one, you had that double, too, in the, the – I think that was his only hit in the playoffs. Was it? Yeah. So I think that was his last – I'm, like, 99% sure because I remember was wondering about baseball. Too. He went. absolutely slacked that ball. And that was – that was <laughs> – oh, no, it wasn't bottom. That was earlier in the game, right? It was and the eighth. It was in the eighth, eighth inning, yeah. So you had to do double duty in the ninth. And you had Pedroia on that weird – he didn't think he Check swung. Swing, and yeah. He was arguing. And then I remember watching that from a distance. What was – you know – Game one against Boston on the on the ropes like that was that again one of those moments where you're like or you're just like three outs man it's, it's yeah so uh, it, it it was definitely different than just three outs but um, I will say that w- when we won that game like winning that game and like taking the advantage away the rest of the series is completely different but going in like I, obviously they had to come to our place and play uh, but I would say that they they were confident like they were very confident like they had the experience you know they i mean they had a great team i think their offense that year was one of the better ones in history um you know you got you're talking about like mookie betts is on the team i mean they were they were really good but beating them the way we beat them um it definitely kind of gave us a blueprint of like all right like this is how we're going to do it and you know so it's set up and then the next night you know we go and we beat them six nil and then we go to boston and beat them so it was um 
yeah, it was they, they were good. They were they were a really good team, but we knew going into that series like we there's there's a way that we can win this. And you knew Pedroia swung too, right? I mean, that's clear as day. Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, man, he is t- he was tough because he just it didn't. He was just one of those players, man. Like if you had to draw, and I'm sure like if Tito had to list like his guys that he's just going to draw examples from all the time, like ninety percent of the examples that he gives is going to be from that particular guy. Uh, but he just literally never gave a pitch away. Like, you just could not take a pitch for granted with him, like, ever. And uh, and he just battled, man. And, you know, at that stage in the game, like, I think I was, like, 40 pitches in, you know. You know, and the longer you draw this out, you know, it can get hairy. And so I knew I had to come after him, but I also knew, like, I couldn't just give in and say, here it is, like, you know, I'm going to beat you because that's where you get beat. And um, wins that first series. That next series against Toronto, again, also another high-octane offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had to, I think it was game two, you had Edwin and Batista and Tulowitzki to, uh, I think it was to end the game. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of a, a murderer's road to, to yeah. some extent, too, especially those guys in that era. Same yeah. thing, just um, get out there. And, and were you actually aware, go back a little bit, that Tito was going to do what he did with, like, hey, it's with six inning, bring in Miller and just hey, we need you, we need you. I think it, you know, so he, we were definitely aware just to like be ready. And I knew he also told us like, hey, I'm not gonna like catch you guys off guard, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm gonna give you a heads up because I, I think Tito did a really good job of breaking the game down into like sections. And so with Boston, right, like everything evolved around like Ortiz, right? Like we've got to make sure that we handle Ortiz. And so obviously he's gonna track Ortiz with Miller. Mm-hmm. So if he knows, like, hey, Ortiz is last at bat in the third inning, we're definitely not going to let him come up again with guys on. So, like, if it's the fourth inning and Ortiz may come up, you know, say he's supposed to do up fifth mm-hmm. in the in the fifth inning, he's going to let Miller know, like, hey, if we get to him, you've got him. And he's going to let him know that well in advance. Uh, and so that was one thing that he did a really good job of. And then the same thing with, like, in Toronto with me with Donaldson. He was like, hey, we're just – you know, because it, there was like a string of righties there with, you know, I think Donaldson was hitting in the two hole and it was Donaldson, Edwin, but, or I'm sorry, Donaldson, uh, Edwin, Batista, and Tulowitzki. Um, it's just like, hey, we're just not going to let him get there, right? And so there was a game in the Toronto series where me and Miller flip-flopped mm-hmm. where I came in early because we were in that string of righties there. And then Russell Martin was on that team. So, I mean, they had a bunch of righties that they could leverage. So he did a really good job of communicating like his intent and how – he was going to use us so that we could kind of track along with him as well, too. And I guess to backtrack a little more, because leading into that postseason, like Carrasco took the comebacker, yeah. and uh, Brantley was out, and, and Ho- I think it was Hoynsey that had the article saying, like, oh, it's over before again. Was that was that big for you as a motivator, too, or did you not need that as baseball? Well, so, well, it, it could have gone either way, but fortunately we had a guy named Mike Napoli on our team who literally just, like, doesn't he, he? I remember when Bauer cut his hand. Yeah, you know, and he just. Lo- I remember guys were looking to him like, "What the heck, man? Like, <laughs> what are we? How are we gonna like prevent overcome this?" And he was just like, "We'll figure it out." It like, and when he said it, it wasn't like lip service. It was like you looked at him and the way he said it, it was like, "We'll figure it out." Like, and we, you know, and then Ryan Merritt comes up and throws, you know, like four and two thirds, one hit. It was like. But, it, you know, when that happened, you know, looking back on it, it was like, 
Man, this guy's been in Arizona throwing sim games. Like, no knock against Ryan Merritt. Yeah. Like, he's he was a quality big leaguer, great starter. But it's not like he was getting work against, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays or the Boston Red Sox or whoever. He was throwing sim games, and he shows up to clinch the pennant, and no problem. You didn't um, – I know most of the city of Cleveland, they bought stuff off his club. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys buy anything on yeah, this? Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was sold out at the time when you looked at it. <laughs> Um, so obviously, you know, the, the World Series didn't end up the way, you know, we all had hoped it would, but mm-hmm. I mean, just as an experience to, to go through all that, how long did it take to fully set in? Like that was probably one of the most historic World Series. I mean, you know, I still, like, you know, I still think about it mm-hmm. from time to time and, uh, not as much as I used to, but I think it's one of those things that until you get far enough away from it, you can't really grasp, right. you know, what it was or like the weight of it. Uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful for, you know, it's, it, it sucked, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it sucked. Yeah. It sucked. Uh, but I will say that like, I remember after it, I remember doing an interview, you know, for all the, you know, local media and, and all that stuff. And I remember feeling so excited about the next season and i just remember like i just want i literally i was like let's go home for a week and let's go straight to arizona because it was the most fun stretch of baseball i'd had since i was 12 years old and and i yeah so you know unfortunately we never got back and, and, and we didn't do the same thing but i just remember feeling this great sense of like pride in the group and in the city itself because you know like it the city represented itself extremely well there and but the group you know for all the adverse situations that we had had and you know and just the way that everybody had handled the attention and nobody was you know the moment wasn't too big for anybody everybody like there was this constant you know kind of message of like we you know this constant like deflection of um you know any type of you know, if somebody's trying to brag on somebody, they would just deflect it to the next guy. And I don't know. There's just, there just a lot of pride in that team and how it handled everything that happened. You guys had LeBron on his feet. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty wild. Yeah, so. um, I know we're running out of time, but I do want to touch on the, you know, in 17 then you guys ended up doing something that might never be repeated in baseball. Again, that 22-game win streak. I mean, again, as that's going on, just something you're living in the moment and thinking, hey, this is uh, something. Or, I mean... You know, it's funny because I remember, so the year before we won 14 in a row to kind yeah. of like, to kind of really put some distance between us and Detroit and like really give us, and that was like the moment where it was like, we're going to win this thing. We're going to win the division and we're going to go make some noise. And I remember in 17, you know, we go and we sign Edwin in the off season and we get Boone Logan and like, you know, we, we were looking at our team on paper and you're like, we are loaded. And we were all pumped. And then we get to the all-star break that year and it's like, we're like, four games over 500 or something like that and the twins are barking on our heels and I remember us having kind of like little team meetings and stuff like that I was like we you know guys we cannot like we this has to be like on a daily basis we've got to show them we've got to win series we can't bank on a 14 game win streak we just can't bank on that happening guys and then we go run off 22 in a row and it was like well <laughs> I guess so and then Again, you know, this, the franchise is over 100 some odd years, and I know the game of baseball has changed. You know, guys in 1912 weren't looking for saves. Mm-hmm. So to become the all-time winning or uh, um, 
have the most saves in franchise history. What does that mean now, or then, and now, and just uh, you know, as, over your career? I mean, it is it is something I'm definitely proud of, right? Um, it's something that um, you know I take pride in, and but at the same time, I think it was a huge testament to the teams that I was on, the guys that I got to play with, right? Like Brian Shaw, right? Like you're only getting to the ninth in those situations because of guys like Brian Shaw and Zach McAllister and Nick Goody and Dan Otero and like all of these guys that just pitch their tails off. Uh, and then, I'll, uh, you know, you talk about our starting rotation for days, you know, all the great pitchers that came through here. But like I was merely just a small cog in a wheel and I just happened to have a stat attached to my part of the cog, right? Like. And and so I, I don't know. It's just I'm I'm definitely proud of it, but I think it is a, it's a collective statistic. You never had a desire to wear 99 like come here and come. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. And that was what comes with being a closer in Cleveland. Yeah. It seems. Dude, I tell you what, man. I mean, we're talking about this record right now, but the guy that's here right now, he is really really good, and he's very young, and he's got a shot at saving a lot of games. Um, so, and I, you know, I think for him too, I think he, you know, would say the same thing. Like it's a, it's a collective effort. You know, you don't get to the ninth with a, you know, a minimum lead by either the guys in front of you blowing it or, you know, your team not scoring runs or your starters not staying in the game. Like it's a, it's a collective statistic. Now, when you went to LA, you never had a chance to face Cleveland, did you? No. So you never never had to face Hosey? Never came back. No. He had been... You know, as a pitcher, I mean, you have to watch Hosey on a daily basis. Do you think he would have been aggravating to pitch again? He was so frustrating because, like, he, you know, he's almost like if you, he's almost like Miggy in the sense of, like, man, there's no set way to get this guy out. Like, there's really no set way to get him out. You just hopefully make quality pitches and then he just gets himself out because there's nothing that he can't do with a bat. And, like, we saw it for years. I was like, like, we used to joke, we're like, what do you think the other team's pitchers' meetings are like when they go over this guy? I remember talking to catchers, you know, James McCann. He was like, you know, he was catching for Detroit at the time. He was like, I hate Jose Ramirez. <laughs> like, I, we can't figure this out. I was like, dude, you and everybody else. Um, is, it, is it wild now to be on this other side of, of your baseball life? I mean, when you were playing, you probably saw older guys coming in and going mm-hmm. and didn't think too much of it, and now you're – Coming back and feel pretty cool though to have. A... Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, I really appreciated the guys that came before me, um, and you know, getting to see guys like you know Mike Jackson, and Jim Tomey, and Bayerga, and you know all these guys, right? Like Rafi Perez, and you know, and the guys that just, you know, like took care of the game, right? And hopefully, um, you know, the guys that are playing now, hopefully, they feel like I did my part in taking care of the game, but. I'm just I'm grateful and I'm thankful to be back here to just help represent the organization that they're very much the face of, um, and so that's just I, I think it's a great game. I think it's a great organization. I think the the players now are so good. I think the talent level of players are is just remarkable, um, and it's a hard game. It is a really really hard game, and for those guys to go out there and put it on the line every day, it's it's not easy. I know we have to get you out of here soon. No, I'm over time, so I'll mm-hmm. cut it there. But You've been listening to Cleveland's Team, a baseball history podcast with Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor.